good morning. It's 8.30, 8.30. I'm not supposed to say that, but I want to say good morning. Good to see you guys. So glad that you're here. And uh, I want to welcome those that are joining from one of our campuses, one of our maybe campuses in the city of Austin or the 13 campuses we have located in the correctional facilities. It's just an honor to be with you in our online campus and Africa's watching today. Italy's watching today. Celebration Church, can we just join with everybody right now by saying hello to them? Good to see you guys. I think I'm going to be recovering from my knee for the rest of my life. I enjoy sitting down. I have new knees, but I enjoy having this seat with you, and I think it keeps me focused in Jesus' name. How many would believe that's a good thing for me? Thank you. I had a different outfit on this morning. I was getting ready to walk out, and Lori said, it looks like you're going to a track meet. And so, like a Lululemon conference, and so I changed, and uh, I'm feeling really confident about myself this morning. I've never had that. How many have ever had that conversation? You wearing that? How many know when you hear that? You're not wearing that. That is not what you're going to wear if you hear the words, so you're wearing that. And uh, thank God there was a guy in the back that was as tall as me. I took everything that he owned. He's out there in the neighborhood now walking around naked. But um, excited about all that God is doing in our church. And um, I just want to say thank you all for your, just your generosity. We're going to announce here, I believe in two weeks, the end of the year legacy offering. And it just went above and beyond what we could have ever imagined because our God is a God who goes above and beyond. And I also want to just say thank you for your, just your continued giving. It allows us to do what we need to be doing in the city of Austin, and that is to ever expand the kingdom of God and to continue to grow and I just want to encourage you to be a part of what is going to happen this coming week, beginning Tuesday through Friday. We're going to be taking these four days. We call them pursuit nights, 7 o'clock. And I want to encourage you, as the book of Acts says, that Peter was in prison, but prayer for Peter by the church was being made fervently. The whole church gathered to pray specifically for Peter. And there are seasons and times in which the church is to gather. Yes, we have our own individual times to pray are hours in which we're alone with the Lord, but then there's those corporate times, and we believe that the beginning of every year and the beginning of new seasons is a wonderful time for the church to come together. If you haven't been a part of one of our pursuit nights, I can promise you, you'll, you'll never be the same. The place is packed, and it's wonderful. It's just, it's just filled with worship and with prayer, and it's a one-hour service, and uh, it's a wonderful time. And uh, we also did not take away the Monday night national championship game that was scheduled. Just in case, Texas, we actually probably should go ahead and now have Monday night. Um, in fact, the Mardocks will be hosting at their home tomorrow night if you guys would like to join them. But um, Tuesday through Friday and then Friday night we'll conclude with, with communion. And um, we're going to begin next week a, a series in fact, before I get into that, I want you to turn with me to the book of Mark, chapter 1. Today I want to speak from the book of Mark, chapter 1, as we are in what is our first Sunday of 2024. And I want to talk about the beginning, and how many know that the end of anything is determined by the beginning of something? That if you're not careful on a beginning, you're not going to fulfill the end. A bad beginning is going to almost declare a bad ending. Now, thank God for turnarounds. 
Thank God for mercy. Thank God for grace. Thank God for how the Lord can handle our misunderstanding and our misguidedness, if you will. And he allows for us to have a comeback. That's God. But if you're a golfer, you know that if you start off playing golf with a bad grip, chances are it's hard to change that grip. And I remember learning how to play golf with a bad grip. And it took years to get any kind of adjustment where I could begin to hold the club properly. And it changed the way that I would play golf. Well, that's my prayer, that it would change the way that I'd play golf. But I want us to go to the book of Mark chapter 1 this morning. And notice the beginning in the verse, it says chapter 1, verse 1, the beginning of the gospel. Now, this is not the beginning of Jesus. It's the beginning of the gospel of Jesus. How many know the beginning of Jesus, there was no beginning. He's always been. Bethlehem was not the beginning of Jesus. He was before Bethlehem. He's always existed. He's the eternal God. But this is the beginning of the gospel. This is how it all started. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. The voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. John did baptize in the wilderness and preached the baptism of repentance for remission of sins. And there went out unto him all the land of Judea and they of Jerusalem and were all baptized of him in the river of Jordan, confessing their sins. And John was clothed with camel's hair and with a girdle of a skin about his loins. And he did eat, yes, he did eat locusts and wild honey. Now that locust is not the locust of an insect. We are all pretty much thinking, well, wow, he ate bugs. No, he did not eat bugs. That was, that was not an insect. And he dipped it in wild honey. How many know anything tastes good when you dip it in honey? And as he was going about preaching, he was preaching these words, saying, There one comes after me, the latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to stoop down and unloose. I indeed have baptized you with water, but he's going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost. And it came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized of John in the Jordan. And straightway coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens open and the spirit like a dove descending upon him. And there came a voice from heaven saying, Thou art my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And immediately the spirit driveth him into the wilderness. Immediately at his coming, at his public announcement by the father, immediately he's driven into the wilderness into a season of temptation. Oftentimes, we don't preach this portion of when people get saved. Oftentimes, we tell people, come to Christ and life will be a picnic. From that moment on, you'll never have any trouble. No, God drives us sometimes to trouble, to find out what's in our hearts, to find out as he was driven into temptation, to find out if you really are serious for God or not, and frankly, to put some some callousness on you, to put some to put some life on you, but life that comes through at times things that we don't necessarily like. It's, it's like physical therapy. You think that as soon as you get the surgery, the hard part's over. How many know you're just beginning? And oftentimes when you come to Christ, we think the hard part's over. No, you're just beginning your physical therapy. I'm living that experience right now. And the Bible goes on to say, as he was driven into and by the Spirit into the wilderness. 
He was there in the wilderness 40 days, tempted of Satan. And he was with, not just with Satan, not just having to battle temptation, but he was with the wild beast. And the angels ministered unto him. How many thankful that whatever God puts us into, he's there to walk us out of? That he is the God who's gone before us and he gives us exactly what we need. And there may be wild beasts, but there are angels among us. And as there were angels ministering to him, now after that, John was put into prison. Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom, saying the time is now, it's fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Now as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And Jesus said unto them, Come after me, and I will make you become fishermen of men. And straightway they forsook their nets and followed him. And when he went a little bit farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were also in the ship, mending their nets. And straightway he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the ship with hired servants and went after him. I want you to notice the first group were casting their nets. The second group were mending their nets. If you will, God was needing evangelists to spread the word, but he was needing pastors to bring healing to those who would come to God. He wanted to keep what he reached. How many know it takes all of us to do what God wants us to do? There has to be people that help expand and move the kingdom forward into territory that has never been before. But then it also requires, the, if you will, the service after the sale. How many have ever bought a car only to discover the dealership's no longer there? They're gone. You're looking for the service after the sale. You want that warranty. And that's what God says. I need those who mend nets. Those who not just are casting nets, but those who can help bring healing and bring strength and bring order to the people that have been caught into, into the net, if you will, the gospel net. And they went into Capernaum, and here's where we now begin to get to where we're going to go. And he went into Capernaum, and straightway on the Sabbath he entered into the synagogue. Jesus is now coming into his very first public ministry opportunity. And he's not going into the public square. He's not going into society. He's going into the synagogue. He's not going where, if you will, the unclean people are. He's going where the people that are supposedly clean are. And as he enters into the synagogue, he begins to teach. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he wasn't like the scribes, but he was teaching with authority. The scribes were people who were teaching not from experience, but from their head. The scribes were those religious leaders, but often spoken of in a negative. They were not speaking with clarity. They weren't speaking with, if you will, an attitude of definitiveness and absolute truth. They were speaking out of even their own questions of their own heart. They were speaking out of their own, their own wrestling with Scripture and their own belief in God. Therefore, they didn't have any authority. Therefore, they didn't have any absolute truth. Therefore, they were probably ministering questions more than they were ministering the gospel or the good news. And as he was speaking, they said, we've never heard and never been around man, a man like this speaking with such authority. And there was in their synagogue 
there was a man who had an unclean spirit. And he cried out, saying, verse 24, Let us alone. What have we to do with thee or thou, Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee who thou art, the Holy One of God. And Jesus, it says, rebuked him, saying, Hold thy peace and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had torn him one last time, convulsed him, mangled him is what the original Greek means. When he took one more punch, how many know the enemy's going to take one more punch at you? As he had one more attack on his life, it says he cried out with a loud voice and that spirit, that unclean spirit came out of him. And they were all amazed in so much as they questioned among themselves saying, what is this? We've been to this church, this synagogue for so many years. We've never seen devils cast out of people before. How many know the first place that Jesus cast the devil out of is the house of God? Be careful in this room this morning. You might be sitting next to one. They said, we've never seen anything like this. What is this? This is a new doctrine? Is this a new teaching? Is this a new expression of God? What are these commands? What is this doctrine? For with authority commandeth he even the unclean spirits. And they obey him. In verse 28, and immediately his fame, his influence, began to spread abroad throughout the region. Round about Galilee. I want us to look as we come to this portion of Scripture, Mark 1, 1 through 28. It's amazing that at the end of him casting out an unclean spirit, him dealing with demonic powers, the Bible says at that moment, immediately his fame began to spread. In other words, it was in that moment that people began to gather around Jesus. And they wanted to be around Jesus because not only was, of course, people being delivered and people were being healed and people were being set free from what was a demonic oppression, a demonic possession, a demonic force. I want you to see first and foremost that when God comes into the world in Christ, the very first thing he meets are demonic powers. It's amazing that the people hear Jesus and they're amazed at his authority. But the demons, they're not amazed. They're not astounded. They know who he is. They know this is the truth. They know that this is the word of God. They know that God has come to the planet. And where they have been able to hide at the presence of light, darkness cannot hide. All of a sudden now, they realize the gig is up. Their time is up. We know who you are. It doesn't say the people knew who Jesus was. They just knew he had authority. But how many know, if you don't know who God is, I'm going to tell you, the devil knows who God is. And he knows that he is Jesus. The devil knows, the enemy knows, darkness knows that he is the Holy One of God. If you're struggling with who Jesus is, can I just help you with that struggle? Just look at what Satan believes about Jesus. Just look at what darkness believes about Jesus. Just look at what the enemy believes about Jesus. And even from there, you can begin to build your case for why you should believe in Christ. 
But what I want you to see is even as we're talking about next week, growing stronger and stronger. In fact, we're going to start a brand new series. I want everybody to make plans for the next several weeks. In fact, it's going to be the theme of the year. We're going to be talking about being a strong Christian. Come on, say those two words with me. Strong Christian. Because the Bible says immediately Jesus, his ministry became stronger and stronger. His fame didn't just spread. His ministry, his word, his miracles, his power, it began to spread. It just got stronger and stronger until it went throughout the whole region. The Bible says in Luke chapter 2 and verse 52, it says that Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and with man. In other words, the key to even Christ being God and man was that he increased, he grew. He got stronger and stronger. 2 Samuel 3 and 1 says that there was a war between the house of Saul and the house of David. But David waxed stronger and stronger while Saul's house waxed weaker and weaker. Job says that the righteous, they keep their hands clean. They hold to their way and they become what? Stronger and stronger. The Bible says in Proverbs 4 and 18, the path of the just is as the shining light. It shines more and more, or it gets stronger and stronger until the day of the Lord. So I want you to know that in these next several weeks, in fact, we're going to start this new series, Strong Christian. God's will is that you would get stronger. God's will is that you would not survive, or that you would not just exist, but that you would live in all of His glory. The Bible says that we are to go from glory to glory. Second Corinthians, Paul writes this. We all with an open face, keep your face open, keep your face towards God. Beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord are changed into his image from what? From glory to glory, from strength to strength. Even as by the Spirit of the Lord. As the Spirit of the Lord leads, and why is he, and what is he always leading us to do? He's leading us to grow stronger and stronger. David's house became stronger and stronger. Job's house, at the end of Job, that very tragic book, but at the end of Job, Job was stronger than he was at the beginning of the book. Let me ask you a question. At the end of 2024, are you going to be stronger or are you going to be weaker? Are you going to be a Saul or are you going to be a David? Give us a year. Give yourself to the house of God for this year. Money back guaranteed if you're not stronger at the end of 2024. Now, you got to live sinless, but if you are not stronger at the end of 2024, give, give yourself to the house of God for one year. You give yourself to Connection Point. You give yourself to the Dream Team. You give yourself to tithes and giving. You give yourself to prayer. You give yourself to the Bible. Can I just tell you, you give, it's going to make you stronger. How many know growing stronger is not unintentional. If you're going to grow stronger, you have to be intentional. You have to be focused. You have to make a decision. And before we go, as this is the very first weekend of 2024, let's make this prayer. Can we say this together? Lord Jesus, at the end of this year, I want to be stronger than I am today. I want to be wiser than I am today. I want to have more understanding than I have today. I want to have more knowledge of who you are, of your word, of your will, of your mind. God, today, I give myself 
to you. Make me stronger and make my family stronger. God, I thank you that you're going to do these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said, it's going to be a great year. It's going to be a great year. It's going to be a great year. Come on, let's thank God for that. And so, but as for today, looking at that thought, the beginning. This is the beginning. Now, what's interesting is the beginning. We just saw, we just saw the voices or the people that were speaking for Jesus. You saw Isaiah in Mark chapter 1, the prophet. In the beginning, the prophet. In other words, the divine messengers of God. Those that hundreds of years before God even came were prophesying about who Jesus was. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. The second voice we read about was the voice of John. John preaching the gospel in the wilderness, commanding people to repent of their sins, commanding people to turn from their wicked ways. The third voice is you see the voice of the Father. When Jesus comes out of that water, the voice of the Father says, This is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. So you have the voice of the prophets. You have the voice of the John the Baptist. You have the voice of the Father. And then now you have the voice of Jesus coming into Capernaum. And he begins to preach with authority. He begins to teach with authority. But he's not teaching and preaching. He's just manifesting naturally the characteristic of God. He's not doing anything. He's not trying to preach up anything. I've preached for almost 37 years full time. And I have people over the years, in fact, still today, you're going to kill it today. Kill it, Pastor Joe. I said, well, I'm not here to kill things. I'm here to make things alive. But especially at conferences, there will be that last thought from somebody, and I know they mean good. You're going to kill it. Go out there and slay it. Kill it. Do good. Make them laugh. Make them cry. It's all on you. It's all about you. Be the gospel entertainer that you're called to be. How many know this is not entertainment? How many know the church was never to be a place or a source of entertainment? It's a source of truth. It's just a reflection of God. And all of a sudden, I go out there on that stage trying to be funny. <laughs> Sometimes Lori will go, what do you have for funny? I said, I don't have anything funny. I don't plan funny. Funny, I hope, just comes <laughs> along the way. Except for the odd Cajun joke. But when it comes to Jesus, as he begins to teach, and in many places it says he sat down and he began to teach with authority. It's what was coming out of where he came from. He had come from heaven. He had stepped out of heaven. And he came to this world that had fallen. And of course, we know why this world had fallen. We know that there's an enemy that showed up in God's creation. And he came, this enemy, Satan, the deceiver, the supplanter. The Bible says Lucifer, with not just himself, but with a third of the angels, had been thrust out of heaven. Demons primarily are fallen angels. They're angels under judgment. And when Jesus comes, he begins to declare his voice. And with his voice of authority, here's the last voice that we see the voice of Satan. And the voice of Satan in the synagogue, the voice of Satan among God's people, 
The voice of Satan now begins to say, who are you? In fact, we know who you are. You are the Son of God. We know that you have come to destroy us. We know that you have come because you don't like us. You want to end our lives. You want to kill us. We have nothing to do with you. And I'm going to talk to you today because those same lies that come from Satan himself are the exact same lies that get into your spirit. I don't think he was saying us in terms of just all the demons and all of the kingdom of darkness. I was thinking, I think he was talking about the same man that he was infiltrating. In other words, he had lied to this man that he doesn't need God. That there's nothing in common with God and God ultimately wants to destroy him. We're going to talk about that today. Because I think that many of us need to understand that the first thing that Christ came to deal with was what the Bible tells us. It doesn't say he's a demoniac. It says he had an unclean spirit. He was unclean. In other words, uncrucified, unredeemed. He was not of, if you will, the nature of God. See, this is where psychology fails. This is where counseling fails. This is where teaching fails. Instruction fails. Education fails. You can't be educated into the kingdom of God. You can't be counseled into the kingdom of God. You can't have enough counselors or psychologists or psychiatrists or medicines to get you right with God. It has to come from God Himself. It's a new nature. Do you understand that? It's a new life. This has to be at the beginning. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus came to declare on unclean spirits, you're no longer allowed to dwell here. Because I believe that in this room at 8.30 or 10 o'clock or 11.45, there's probably people with an unclean spirit. And you say, well, Pastor Joe, how do I know if I have an unclean spirit? Let's look at those three lies. Let's look at those three thoughts. Number one, I don't need God. What have we to do with you? Pastor Joe, we're in church. Everyone in church needs and has a knowing and a knowledge that they need God. That's not what this verse tells us. This Bible verse tells us this man was in the synagogue. And the Bible says that Satan had entered into him. The Bible does not say exactly how, if it was oppression or possession, but we do believe it was possession in this particular place. But when he has now residency in this man's life, this man begins because he's allowing Satan to have rule in his life. He's thinking like Satan. God, leave us alone. Leave me alone. Leave us alone. Have you ever prayed that prayer? In fact, you might have said, no, I didn't pray that prayer. I said that. <laughs> it wasn't a prayer. Leave me alone, God. Take your hand off me, God. I don't want you, God. 
And I'm here to tell you, He won't. He won't because the reason why God came was He knows what's on the other side. If you and I were to leave the church today and begin to travel wherever we're traveling and see a house or a building on fire, and you know where that fire is going to go, you know that who's ever in that home or in that building is going to lose their life, and someone from the fire says, leave me alone, you're like, I'm not going to leave you alone. Because I know what you are about to experience. And the Bible says, Satan blinds the minds of the unbelieving. Satan blinds us from seeing why God came. And the first thing the unclean spirit said was, leave us alone. I really do believe that this has to do with even our own application as it relates to eternal life. I am thankful that God did not leave me alone. Because listen, if He leaves you alone, He leaves you to destruction. He is the only one that died for you. He's the only one that came for you. May this first Sunday, may this first message of 2024 reconfirm to you, maybe you're here today, maybe you're watching today for some odd strange, just by chance reason, God says to you today, I'm not going to leave you alone because I know what will happen to you if I do. How many are thankful the Lord woke you up this morning? Sanka didn't wake you up. Who knows even what Sanka is? That's a different generation right there. You're talking about liquid caffeine right there, buddy. God does not want to leave us alone. The Bible says if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He came because He knows that we're sinners. He came because He knew that He was going to provide a way of escape. He came because He knew that He was the Lamb of God to take away your sins and my sins. And whoever looked to him as Moses, the Bible says, took that stick and raised up that serpent on that stick. Whoever looked to that serpent, whoever looked to that pole with that serpent on it, the Bible says they were healed of their diseases. And as Moses lifted up the pole, as Moses lifted up that stick, so shall the Son of Man be lifted up. And whosoever looks to him, will not die in their sins, but will have everlasting life. Look to Jesus this morning. Look to Jesus this morning. Just look to Him. Recognize that He came. And what Satan first wants to say is, you can go alone. You can't die alone. Because the moment you exit from this world, the moment to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And you will either meet him as the Lamb of God or you will meet him as the Judge of God. I know this is very clear. It's very, if you will, authoritative. But that's what they were hearing for the first time. How many of us have been to church for many, many years and have never heard the gospel message? 
It's almost every week I hear people say, Pastor Joe is raised in this denomination, that denomination, but I never heard an opportunity to clearly come to God because I was lost in my sin. That I had to be born again. I never heard with authority that there was the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light, and there's no one in between. There's no one outside of one of those realms. You're either with a clean spirit because of Christ, or you have an unclean spirit because of the enemy. Yeah, but Pastor Joe, I'm a good person. And that's where that authority breaks through, that cloud of confusion. It breaks through and allows us to see what really is going on in our lives, what really is going on in this world. Here's the second lie. I have nothing in common with God. What do we have to do with thee? The first lie is in relationship to eternity. The second lie is in relationship to this world. My life doesn't need God on a daily basis. I believe that Christ died for my sins, Pastor Joe, but I don't believe that God wants to do anything with my life. Now that is the difference between just surviving, existing, and truly living. Jesus said, I've come to give you life and what? Life abundantly. I've come to give you eternal life. But that abundant life is the application of that eternal life on a daily basis on this planet. When he said to those disciples, follow me, I'll make you fishermen of men. Follow me. And the Bible says, as these men were laboring in their labor, laboring in their business, laboring in their career, what Jesus came to bring them was a vision of what can happen out of their labor and what can happen with God partnering with them. And instead of just laboring to eat, laboring to provide, laboring to have a house, laboring to have clothes, laboring to have a life, it's a laboring that co-labors with God that begins to make the difference in the lives of people. That begins to have a purpose. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, it says that you were called into fellowship. He calls you to have fellowship with Him. He doesn't just call you to have eternal life. He calls you because He wants fellowship with you. This is why the Bible says that in the last days, many are going to say, Lord, Lord. In fact, Matthew chapter 7, people are going to say, Lord, Lord. He goes, but I'm going to say to them, even though you say, Lord, Lord, I, I've never met you. You did, of course, you might have healed, you might have delivered, you might have prophesied. But I'll profess to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. You that never allowed me to have complete control of your life. You were a great, if you will, professor. You professed. But there was never out of your life Communion with me. And when the devil says to this man, leave us alone, we have nothing to do with you. God, you don't care about my daily life. Psalm 139 says, how precious are thy thoughts, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand. When I awake, I'm still with thee. Can I just tell you what God thinks? He thinks constantly about you. He thinks about your value. He thinks about your worth. He thinks about why He made you the way that He made you. He thinks about you. He dreams about the dream that He created you with. 
Every one of us were created. You are not an accident. Your parents may have said you're an accident. And there may be accidental parents, but there are no accidental children. God created you. How many want to know why God created you? Let me see your hand. How many want God to be in your everyday life? He is. He is. That's why those disciples were blown away. He goes, you can take what you've been doing on this planet to do it for the kingdom of God. And immediately they said, oh, this is awesome. They dropped their nets, left their father, left their career. But they were primarily saying yes to God and yes to his will. And here's a third lie that you and I need to understand that the unclean spirit always will tell us, I don't think God loves me. Now, we know that he is going to destroy. In fact, he came to destroy the works of the devil. But what I want you to see is that God, when it comes to you, didn't come to destroy you. He came to fulfill you. Do not think I came to kill and to destroy, to end your life. Satan ends. Satan destroys. Satan kills. I've come to give you life. The Bible says, God, who is rich in mercy, Ephesians 2 and 4 and 5 says, For his great love wherewith he loved us even when we were dead in our sins, has quickened us together with Christ. For by grace have you been saved. And now here's what I want you to see. If you don't allow God to take residence in your heart, you're going to walk your whole life thinking, number one, I can do this without God. In fact, I can do this on my own. And I'm not just talking about, I'm not just talking about God. I'm not just talking about, if you will, spiritual things. I'm talking about you try to go life alone. See, Satan always wants to separate you, disconnect you from people, from the body. Number two, the second thought is God's not interested in my daily activity. He's not interested in my family. He's not interested in my burdens. He's not interested in my worries, my concerns. That's why the Bible says, cast all your cares upon him. He does care for you. And the third lie, the third thing that comes through an unclean spirit, this is why we need to say, God, cleanse us. He said, God, I'm going through something that is very tragic, very difficult, very hard. Could be a cancer, could be a death. God, you must not love me. And the greatest lie that Satan will ever come with is to accuse God of not loving you. He loves you. The Bible says in the book of Numbers, chapter 23, God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, and shall he not do it? Hath he spoken, and not shall make it good? Behold, I have received a commandment to bless, and he hath blessed, and I can't reverse it. Can I just tell you, this was a prophetic word, even in the New Testament for us today. He says, I don't behold iniquity in Jacob. Jacob had a lot of iniquity. And God says, I am not coming to look at the iniquity of Jacob. I have come to fulfill the call of God upon Jacob. Today, God comes to you today through this word, the beginning of 2024, to say, Lord, I don't want any unclean thoughts about you. Because I don't want this to be a year where we're weaker and weaker. How many know if we're going to have a stronger and stronger year? We've got to say, Lord, drive out every unclean thought that I have about you. Guys, if you don't get this right, 
I don't ever want to hear you say, I'm mad at God. I'm offended at God. He never leaves you. He never forsakes you to lie from the enemy. Don't accuse God of evil. It's an unclean spirit. You understand what I'm saying? I know I sound harsh, but I hear it often. I can't believe God is doing this to me. He's not doing it to you. There are things in this world, and we know where it comes from, the enemy himself. And today I believe that God wants us to leave this day clean, allowing his authority to take residence in our life. I'm going to ask for our pastors at our campuses to come and close in prayer right now. Can we stand to our feet, church? How many want to grow stronger and stronger this year? I want my knee to grow stronger and stronger before I take a little step. Derek, who's a fireman, will have to rescue me right here on the stage. Can we just close our eyes? Can we just, just for a moment? Maybe one of those areas God spoke to you about. How many of you would say, Pastor Joe, I've got to let God have it all. I've got to let God have it all. I, that, that was for me. God, I'm not going to go alone. I'm going with you this year. Number two, how many have said, Lord, you're not interested in my daily activity. There's nothing in common with me. Lord, I know that today you want to be intimately acquainted with everything that I have going on in my life. How many have some cares and some burdens to cast upon the Lord today? Let me see your hand. And then lastly, how many have ever questioned about the love of God? How many have ever wondered, God, do you love me? Because if you do, my son would have lived. If you love me, this would have never happened. If you love me, they would have not died. How many today would need to declare, Lord, that's an unclean spirit, and I will never question your love to me because you are true and you are holy. The enemy's a liar. How many are with me today? Can we just pray this out loud? Lord Jesus, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your grace. We thank you that you love me, that you came to me today to not leave me the same. Lord, I'm asking you right now to wash me, to make me clean by the blood of Jesus that was sacrificed on that cross. Lord, today, I let myself go so you can fill me. I renounce every lie. I rebuke every lie. And I receive the one who has come, the Holy One, Jesus of Nazareth, even right now, by the power of the Holy Spirit, fill me, Lord. Make me stronger and stronger. May this be your year, Lord, the year of grace. And all of God's people said, come on, let's give the Lord a clap of praise in this place today.